Good Friday evening to each one of you, and God bless you. God bless you for your faithfulness. Those of you who have been here night after night, this is number five in a row. And God bless you for your faithfulness and for your interest and for your sincerity of desiring to hear what God has to speak to your life, your life personally. And I trust that he's filling you up. I trust that he's giving you direction. I trust that he's nudging at your heart and just drawing you into himself. And you're feeling his presence and you're feeling his closeness and you're feeling inspired. Hopefully you're feeling revived even tonight and this week as you look into Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full into his wonderful face, friends. And you know what happens when we do that? The things of this life will grow strangely dim. Strangely dim. Strangely dim. Think about what is closest to your mind right now in this earth, in this life. And just... Take your eyes off of that and focus them on Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus and let the things of this life grow strangely dim in the light of God's precious glory and grace. I also want to take time tonight to just say thank you for your prayers. The many, 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 many prayers that are going heavenward for myself and for my family. God is answering those prayers. I have no doubt in my mind tonight that God is answering them. Talking to my wife each night. The week has just been going remarkably well. Her sister is there, and it's been a tremendous blessing as she's there to help care for her with the, with the rest of the children. Uh, the week is just going very well. Now, the girls are very anxious to see their daddy tonight, and their daddy's very anxious to see them as well as my new little son. And so, yes, we do still plan to, to, I still plan to travel home tonight after the service. Um, so we'll probably get home a little before midnight or right around midnight, God willing. And if you just want to pray some more, we'd appreciate that, that, that God would protect us as we drive and keep us alert both to and from. And Lord willing, we'll reconvene here again tomorrow night. God is so good. Tonight in the youth's prayer meeting, Brother Daniel mentioned about being a thankful people in my words. No matter what we face in life, we're called to be a thankful people. And that goes back to just being a, having a heart of gratitude. And I thought of First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 tonight that says this, In everything... Give thanks. Why? Why are we to give thanks in everything? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God cares tonight about your heart. God cares tonight about your thoughts. God cares tonight about your attitude. And we've already touched on these things this week to help us be revived. And notice in, the, in 1 Thessalonians, it doesn't say for everything give thanks, but it says in everything give thanks. So if you would go out here tonight and you would get in your vehicle and you would pull out onto, I'm not sure what the name of this road is, and there's a vehicle come flying down here and slammed into your truck. I doubt, I, would expect, I wouldn't expect you to get out of your vehicle, if you're alive, and say, Lord, I really appreciate you just letting me wreck my vehicle. The Bible says, in everything give thanks. Is that what he's meaning? He wants us to say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to wreck. He doesn't say, for everything give thanks, but in everything give thanks. If you're alive, you weren't killed, you can get out and just praise the Lord for saving your life. You can turn that thing around and just be so grateful that your vehicle wasn't demolished. And if it was demolished, then you can thank the Lord for... You can turn your attitude and heart towards God and thank Him for, having, for sending that, that guardian angel that we prayed we thank God for tonight to protect me. We need to be a thankful people, a grateful people, a heart of gratitude. And I appreciated, uh, Brother Marvin, your song selections tonight and just praising God for who He is. And I think before we get started tonight, we're just going to praise him a little bit more as you stand to your feet with me. And let's sing, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Let's sing. Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy. 
glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created, hast all things created, Thou hast created all together. Father, we believe that and we mean that from the bottom of our hearts. And there is nothing more as we meet again tonight that we desire but for you to receive the complete, total glory and honor from our lives. We want to be emptied of ourselves tonight, Lord. We don't want any of ourselves to get in the way of your Holy Spirit coming and shining your, your light on our hearts, your light on our minds, your light on our lives, and speaking so very softly and so very gently and so very clearly to us tonight. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you tonight, Lord, for your mercy. And we thank you, O oh God, tonight for Jesus Christ, the Savior of our sins the Savior of, of our lives, the one who has cleansed us with his precious blood, the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the washing and for the cleansing that comes as we repent, as we confess, as we acknowledge our need of you. Tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would bless every soul who has chosen to come out on this Friday night to see Jesus, to worship you, to honor the Father, to honor you, Lord. Meet us tonight, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> there's a lighthouse on the hilltop that overlooks life's sea. When I'm tossed, it sends out a light that I might see. And the light that shines in darkness there will safely lead a soul. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, my ship would be no more. And I thank God for the lighthouse. I owe my light to him. For Jesus is the lighthouse, and from the rocks of sin, he has shown his light around me that I can clearly see. If it wasn't for the lighthouse, tell me, where would this ship be? Everybody that lives about me says, tear that lighthouse down. The big ships don't sail this way anymore. There's no use of us standing around. But then my mind goes back. To that stormy night when just in time I saw the light. Yes, the light from that old lighthouse that stands up there on the hill. And I thank God for the lighthouse. I owe my light to him. For Jesus is that lighthouse. And from the rocks of sin he has shown his light around me. That I can clearly see if it wasn't for the lighthouse. Then you tell me where would this ship be tonight dear ones if it wasn't for Jesus. Where would you be tonight? Just think about it for a little bit. 
just think about it in your own heart and in your own life. If it wasn't for Jesus, where would you be? Where would I be? And that should give us a heart of gratitude tonight. That should give us a heart of thanksgiving. Tonight, for this message, there is a message that's going to come forth. But by God's grace, I'm going to endeavor to just share with you some windows into my life of how that lighthouse is continually shown to bring me and show me to Christ and how he has directed and guided my life accordingly. And so if you'll let me, I want to just share a bit of Jesus in my life. And hopefully you will be inspired and blessed. You know, we all have a story tonight. However many people are gathered in this church house tonight, all of us have a story of how Jesus rescued, how Jesus went and sought out you and I and brought us to the fold. And the psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, which means that we need to be willing to express in thanksgiving and in adoration and in humility and honor for Almighty God of what he has done for me, and we need to be willing to express that, not just here in a church service, I'm not saying that, but you need to be willing to share that to the lost around us. Help them understand what it was that drew you to the lighthouse. Do they see? Do they know? Or is this just a lifestyle that we have adopted and that we practice and that we perform and we've never actually met Jesus? God has a lot of stories to tell about that which he has created. And God loves his creations tonight. And I believe that he is excited to see his children excited about what, is, what he has done for us and how he has provided a better way for us to live. And to see himself being exalted, God loves that. God is a jealous God. His understanding tonight is not that we go worship something else. And I believe that God has put in the hearts or in the souls, way down in the depths of your being and mine tonight, he put within us a desire to worship. A desire to worship something. And I'm, I'm telling you tonight, I don't care who you are, where you've come from, you are worshiping something tonight. If it's not Jesus Christ, then it's something else. And God is a jealous God, and he doesn't want you to be worshiping or looking around you. He wants you to have your full attention on him tonight. And so please allow the Spirit to just bring our hearts and our souls and our minds there. I think of the man with the unclean spirit, a fearful man to be around there in the tombs. People were afraid to even get close to him there in Mark chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Until Jesus came and the man noticed Jesus. I mean, he was, he was a demon-possessed individual, one that it was full of. He was cutting himself and doing all kinds of crazy things and people were afraid of him. But Jesus changed his life. And after Jesus healed him, after Jesus saved him, after Jesus made a difference in his life, he told him this. He said, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And how he has had compassion on thee. And so what he did is he departed and he began to publish in Decapolis. I don't know if I, I didn't look that word up. I'm not sure how to pronounce that one. If it's Decapolis or Decapolis, whichever. How great things Jesus had done for him. He was to go tell how, what Jesus had done for him. Tonight, I don't want to be ashamed of my Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed of exalting him and lifting him up. I want to be willing to stand behind the cross and point us to him. 2 Timothy 1 verses 8 and 9 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, Paul was saying, of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker, be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 
Did you ever wonder why you were created? Did you ever wish you were created as an animal so that you didn't have a soul, so that you didn't have to make these difficult choices, so that you didn't have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? You, you could just be an animal that could go out into the... You could be a cow, you could be a dog, you could be a cat, you could just go and, and live life however you wanted to. They just kick back and let people tell them how to live, right? Did you ever wish you were something like that instead of having the responsibility of what a soul that's been created like you and I are has? God says that he has created you and he has created me. Before the world began, he had us in his eye. He had us in his mind. And he's placed us here in 2019, in this era of time, to allow his church to be destroyed, to allow his church to be corrupted? No. That the church would flourish, that the church would grow, that the church would prosper. He has a very, very specific purpose and plan for your life and for your life and for every life that's represented here tonight. God sees us and he cares about how we are living our lives and where we're going tomorrow and where we're planning to go the next day. God cares about those details. And I thank God. He created the great big universe. It's so big we can't imagine the magnitude and and how great he really is. And yet he knows us so very intimately. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he walks with us through life. And I just want to testify tonight of how he's done that in my life. You know that my background is River Brother, and you know that I grew up in a church where there wasn't Sunday school. You know that I grew up in a church by now that I said there was testimony shared every Sunday morning where people would express they would, the redeemed of the Lord would say so. And they would express how God has, was working in their life or maybe confessing something that, that they had fallen in that past week and asking for prayers from the brotherhood. There was ways that they would, they would communicate that. And as a little boy, growing up under that influence, it has left tremendous impact and impressions and memories continually as I can go back in my mind, remember, remember those different testimonies that were shared. And I didn't know a lot about the Mennonite people, I told you. But after in 1991, when we moved into the uh, Green Village, as a little town there where we live, and we moved in there, we were just five minutes from the school, the little Mennonite school there at Anchor. And my parents, in the, in, even though they were in the River Brethren Church, they, cho- they sent us to the Mennonite school, and that's where I became acquainted with the Mennonite people. Now, we had many friends growing up. My, my parents... So I went to a River Brethren church, I went to a Mennonite school, and every summer they would send us over to the Church of the Brethren Bible School. And my mom and dad's circle of friends was pretty broad. They, they fellowshiped and they associated with many more people than just the River Brethren. And it's not that they meant anything by that, it was just that they wanted to be friends with more than just their own, their own group, if you will, because there was value in learning from one another. And so our, our circle of friends was pretty broad. And, you know, I'll be honestly with you tonight, I, don't, I never grew up under the impression that the River Brethren was it. Hey, I just woke a couple people up. Brother, you were sleeping. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should do that some more. <laughs> they, never, they never gave us that attitude that nobody else could be as well off as what the River Brethren are. And I think we should learn from each other tonight in that way. Well, no matter who we are, I don't think we should undervalue what we have chosen to practice and how we want to live sincerely, wholeheartedly for God. That is the ultimate motive in our lives. And we, are, we fail, brothers and sisters, if we begin to throw stones over into the next camp beside us that don't practice quite like we do. Or maybe they hold a little more of a 
We use this conservative and liberal name, terminology that we use and abuse, but sometimes there's more conservative and there's more liberal, and we're guilty sometimes of throwing stones on both sides. And when we throw stones, friends, we fail. It doesn't help them, it doesn't help me, and it doesn't help anybody else around us. And so, God help us. I told you there's going to be a message along with this testimony tonight. I'll try to, to keep out of the preacher mode too much and, and bear the testimony, but let's learn. Let's learn together. Let's point souls to Jesus. Let's not be so worried about the differences as much as we care about souls coming to Christ. Now, my home life was a real problem. There was a lot of strife in our home. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of unkind words said. There was things that was done that leaves their scars. And tonight... Let me just tell you very, very quickly that it will never work to justify our decisions in life because of something that happened back here in my life. It will never, it will never work to justify decisions we make in our life by blaming those who have wronged us. And I know there's a couple of you already this week that has confessed to me that there is hurt back here, there is pain back here, there is sorrow back here, there is tension back here sometimes that we have to deal with. And when we get to Almighty God, when we finally get to the end of this road that we're on tonight, the journey towards heaven, when we stand before Almighty God, I don't think we're, I don't think, you may as well just throw it out the window right now. We'll never be able to stand before him and say, but God, you understand what happened to me back here. You understand why I made the decisions that I did. God, surely you understand what happened back here. And we learn how to, to forsake and cast out the spirit of criticism and the spirit of unforgiveness. I also want to say tonight that I love my family. I love my family so very much. There was a day as a young man, hard-hearted, tough, macho. There was a day that I had a, a, such a hatred for my father. I did not have a love for my dad, and I was so bitter and upset with the circumstances of our home. Because you see tonight, dear ones, what we see here tonight is something very beautiful. We all look like we're very involved in the kingdom of God, and I trust that every one of us are. But things are not always as they appear to be. Things are not always as they seem. And I know we have a lot of good moms and we have a lot of good dads who take care of their children very, very well. But we also sometimes, in our conservative settings as well, especially in the world, but we have it right in our churches as well, some bad dads and some bad moms who aren't fulfilling their role that God has called them so dearly to. And then there are consequences and there are reapings of what has been sown sometimes years ago. And I'm telling you tonight that all the details of our home life wouldn't be even beneficial for me to begin to share. It wouldn't benefit you and it wouldn't benefit me to get into all of, all of the details of what I'm referring to. It really doesn't matter, but I will tell you this tonight, that my home life has influenced my life tremendously. The perspective I have on life, the values that I have on life, how I view one another. Moms and dads, the responsibilities that we have as parents to raise our children, we can't put a price tag on the, the worth of what is involved in how we raise our children for the Lord. And I have been inspired. I, I mean this sincerely tonight. I have been inspired and blessed. I don't see a perfect group of people, by the way, after night five. It took a little bit, but I don't see a, a perfect group of people. But I have been blessed. 
by seeing godly men and women who care about building the kingdom of God and they're passing that on to their sons and their daughters. And there was a time in my life as a young man that that made me angry, that made me bitter, that made me upset. In fact, to even talk about the home, I just didn't even want to go there. To drive down the road and see a dad out playing ball with his son, it made me angry because of the pain that was happening in my heart. I can remember thinking there can't be a home anywhere else that is worse off than ours. And oh, I had so much to learn. I was so blessed. More than I can, more than I can uh, count the blessings tonight. But the, in spite of the rage, in spite of the fighting, in spite of the abusing that had happened in our home, in spite of the anger and the belittling, I tell you tonight, I have a love for my father. I have a love for my dad tonight that only Jesus can help me have. Okay? And it's probably vice versa for my dad to love his son. It touches my heart every time they choose to travel two and three or plus hours to come and to hear their fifth son preach a message. I am so humbled by that. It touches my life every time. And mom and dad know that. But I can remember, I can remember when I had such a hatred. And we'll get to that in just a bit. I remember at the age of 10, after a fight, My second to the oldest brother, choosing after that discrepancy to leave it all. He said, I'm done. He had a friend come and pick him up, and he left. And I can remember the tearing that happened in this young 10-year-old's heart. As the table, at the table, there was a chair missing from that one. The family circle was broken, never to be complete in that way again. And this spoke volumes to my heart. And I can remember just 10 days after my 17-year-old brother left home. In the middle of the night, the phone rang. And my mom and dad got a phone call. Which said this. Your son has been life-flighted to Hershey Hospital because he was in a tremendously bad accident. And if you want to see your son alive, you need to come quickly. And so they go to the Hershey Hospital and there was my brother. So many different things on his body that was broken. He was able to talk, but when he talked, his, his um, jaw and everything was broken up, and it was, it was, just, it was just like my mom said. She had to say, don't even talk to us. It was just so horrific to look at. But God spared his life that night. God spared his life, not just that night, but many times since. He was 17 that night, and tonight he's 38. And my brother has chosen to live a life of sin. He has tried to find fulfillment. He has tried to come to Jesus Christ twice in his life, only to hang around with his drug buddies, only to hang around with the women, only to hang around with those who smoke and drink and to be pulled back into that sin. My brother tonight, I love my brother. And I ask you to pray for him. He has five children of four different women. He's tried to share share. Uh, passing children back and forth with these moms and these moms are upset with him and there's a lot of raging and fighting. I want to tell you, dear friends, tonight, there is nothing in this world, there is nothing in this world that you want to go out and pursue and to find fulfillment in. It's never going to satisfy. It's going to bring tremendous misery. It's going to bring tremendous difficulties. But as I ponder all that as a young man and I watched my brother go out, it put a fear of hell in my heart. It really did. And that made me question, am I ready to die? But that didn't take care of what all was going on at home still even after he left. I have a sister tonight as well who's four years younger than I am. This is my, I have, I, for those of you who were here before, there's five boys and two girls. The, the brother that I've referred to and now my sister 
has never given her heart to Jesus. She has never given her heart to Jesus, and she's pursued the same lifestyle that my brother has. She's been divorced from her husband. She's actually now back together with him, and they're trying to work things through. But neither one of them have still come to Jesus. I'm, I'm rejoicing that they're back together, but I'm concerned that they're going to leave again if they don't embrace Jesus because he's the healer of broken hearts. He's the one that can restore their relationship. And I'm concerned because of where they're at that if they don't give it all to him, there's going to be more, more devastation that happens. They have a son and they have a daughter. And while they were apart, it would tear your heart to hear your little nephew and niece say, I wish mommy and daddy would live in the same house. I get tired of being tossed this way and that way. And even today, grandma takes care of them a lot. Thank God for the grandmas. Thank God for the grandpas in our lives. And it breaks my heart. Another wake-up call is a young man out swimming in the back 40 on a Sunday afternoon with my friends. A day that I thought I was dying. I thought, a day that I thought it was, I was going to breathe my last. We were jumping in. I guess I was trying to learn how to dive head first. And I come off that uh, that uh, jumping board, whatever you want to call it. Diving board, yeah. Jumping board, diving board, we do both, right? I was trying to learn to dive head first, and apparently as I went into the water, I, the only thing I can imagine happened is my feet came around. When I hit that water, it felt like I was going 100 mile an hour really, really fast in that water. I lost all sense of direction. I don't know what happened. I knew how to swim, or at least I thought I did, but I lost all sense of direction, and I must have been doing tumble salts all the way down into a pond. We were in a, a dirty, mucky pond, and I got to the bottom of that pond. My feet sunk in the mud, and I, I panicked, and I thought, wow, okay, so I know where I'm at, and I'm going to drown. This is what it feels like to drown. And panic kicked in, and I began to, fl to kick and to flail and to wail, and I was concerned that this was going to be it. And, I was, and I, as I was down there, what did I do? As I panicked, I tried to breathe. Well, you can't breathe in water. You take in that, that muck and mud and debris. And I'm convinced tonight that there was an angel that carried me to the top. I had a couple of friends that was getting ready to jump in because it was a while since I had come up. And just like that, my head appeared above water, and they grabbed me, pulled me up on deck where I lay there with a throbbing headache. And I had some more pondering to do. Because of the sin that was in my life, there was a fear that gripped my heart again that if I had died on this day, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what I would have faced. I'm afraid of what I would have seen. And as a young teenager, I tell you, I sowed some of my wildest regrets in life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 says this, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And those, those results are as far as different as night and day. The results of the choices that we make. And as I turned hard and rebellious towards my dad in my young years, I didn't have a good relationship with him, and I would sneak out of the house in the middle of the night. And I would go places and do things that I shouldn't have as a young man. I would have party friends who would pick me up at the end of our lane and drop me back off several hours later. And I thought nobody knew. I had what I had church friends, I had school friends, and I had party friends. And the church friends and the school friends had no idea that I had these party friends as I would sneak out in the middle of the night. And I don't know. I hope that there's not a home here today that deals with this kind of a thing. I hope not. But young people, I just, I just implore to you again, please understand there is nothing, nothing out there. There's nothing out there. It's barren and dry. And there are many, many a young person who's, who's realizing that and they're committing suicide as a result. Dads tonight, pay attention to the hearts of your sons. 
Moms tonight, pay attention to the hearts of your young daughters. Give them a home life that makes them want to belong. If you don't, they're going to go out and they're going to pursue it and they're going to try to find it somewhere else as they desire to worship. It burdens me with what all this verse of sowing and reaping is referring to. And I see evidence of reaping tonight in our family from seeds that's been sown to the flesh years ago. But praise God, that's not the end of my story. I told you the other night about I was converted January 14, 2002, milking cows with my mom. The Holy Spirit of God had been calling me, and there was one commitment that I had made before I gave my heart to Jesus. Because of the figure in my life of my dad, he was going to be the last person that I would ever tell if I was willing to, to humble myself and give my life to Jesus. And as I went out the back barn door, And I cried out to God for mercy and to forgive me of my sins. And I poured out my sins before him. I confessed my life before him. Jesus came into my heart and my life. And I got up, paraphrasing very quickly here, I got up with that freedom, with the joy that was unspeakable and full of glory. And as soon as I had realized that and was experiencing that, I received another message. Remember the message was before, if you didn't give me your heart tonight, there's a good chance the road you're on, you never will. I received another message. What do you think it was? Go tell your dad. Go tell your dad. And so I went out the back barn door. I I thought I couldn't do this. But, you know, when God changes a hard heart to a soft heart, he is in the miracle-working business. He can do it right now in the matter of seconds. There was suddenly a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart that was longing for a father relationship that I hadn't experienced for months prior because of the division in our relationship. But God said, go tell your dad. And so I go back to the heifer barn there where my dad was scraping. And as he came out, I remember looking at him as a young, macho, tough man once before. And I I went like this. I asked him to turn that skid loader off. And I just broke. I wept. I cried like a baby. Machoism went out the window. The toughness that I wanted to live and hold me high on disappeared. And I began to tell my dad, listen, dad, I am sorry. I want to give my heart to Jesus, and I know that I have not been treating you as a son should be treating a dad. And there were some things in my mind and my heart that I, that I wanted to just say, but if you, if you would have just, you know, you, wanted to, you just wanted him to help repent and confess with you, right? But you could only do what was going to bring me peace. And so I, I begged for his forgiveness that night. I pled for his forgiveness, and he was very willing to forgive me. And I remember the excitement and the the compassion of telling others about what Jesus had done as he came into my heart and my life. And and I asked him to make me a brand new man. There was joy that flooded my soul. And I praise God for that night tonight. And I hope that you praise God for that moment when God's called your name. And some of the dearest verses to me since then has been Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. I feel like it describes my heart. It was, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. That cold January night, God heard my cry. He heard my cry. His fullest devotion, attention was on me as I cried out to him. He heard my cry, and what did he do? But he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he has put a new song, a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, one that I desire that many shall see and want to, to trust the same Lord and praise the same God that I have experienced in my life. And I wish, as I told you the other night, that I could tell you that I lived a perfect life from there on. 
I wish that I could tell you that. Self still wants to take control. Self still wants to rise up and be in charge. We continually have to come before God in repentance and confession and ask him to lead us. Well, tonight, there was two and a half years between that moment of my conversion until I was baptized into the Romanonite church. And sharing with my parents and talking with them, I was never a part of the River Brethren people, uh, membership-wise. But I told them that I, I felt, I felt, I don't know if I would say I felt called, but I felt led and welcomed over to, to the Mennonite church that was local there. And, and for various reasons, I pondered where to go, but that's where it was, right close home there at the row. And I have tremendous respect for the River Brother people today. I did not leave them because I was dissatisfied with who they were as a people. And I just repeat what I said earlier tonight, that I, I, I know that there's in Virginia, and in, from, some of you are coming from the Weaverland Conference and the uh, Horse and Buggy Mennonites, please, dear ones, don't turn back and throw stones where you've come from. Please do not do that. Bless God for the ones who are sincerely pursuing God. Please do not do that. And I, again, I've been inspired by your attitudes and by your hearts here tonight. We need each other. And if we would face some more persecution in our land, maybe we would see that we need each other more than what we do sometimes. I began to attend special services there at Roe as a young 17-year-old. And soon after I started attending there, the pastor came and asked me if I'd be willing to start what they called instruction class. And I never heard of instruction class in my life. But it was, it was where we began to meet with. I began to meet. It was just myself in the class. I began to meet with the ministry. And we began to walk through the Bible. And they began to teach me the truths of God's word. I was a man who didn't study the Bible a whole lot. I, I should have read more of it. But as a young, rebellious, hard-hearted man, I wasn't willing to do that. And I can remember July 11. 2000, I'm sorry, it was July 18, 2004 was the night of my baptism. And in the audience that night was my parents. In the audience that night was a lot of support from the River Brethren people, my friends and, and relatives and loved ones who had come to support me that night. There was a longing in my heart, dear ones, for that two and a half years as a young man, I longed to be a part of. I wanted to be a member of the body of Christ. I wanted to identify myself with the people of God. I didn't want to live life on my own. It's hard for me to understand people who are willing to go to church, and God bless you tonight if you're here and you're one of these, but who continually go to church and continually go to church maybe four and five and six and seven and eight years and plus more, never willing to commit to the local body of Jesus Christ. And we're, we could get into a message on that tonight about Christ being the head of the church. And why would we want to divorce ourselves from his body? Why would we want to do that and not be a part of the body that makes up he is our head? And I remember the night I was baptized. A friend came up to me after that service and I was so happy. I was finally accepted into the fellowship. A friend came up to me and he looked at me knowing that I came from the River Brother and into the Mennonite uh, culture. He said, now... Now, he said, you're a full-fledged Mennonite. And it didn't really settle well with my soul. You know, I don't know if I was really 
looking forward to being called a Mennonite or a River Brethren. That's just a denomination. That's just what we identify, the people that we identify ourselves with. But the fact tonight, when I get excited, when I think about the fact that I have been adopted as a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that's going to lead me to glory one day, that is what's worth getting excited about. It's not about the name that we carry over. Our, it doesn't matter that we go to Bethany Mennonite Church. It doesn't matter that we are a Mennonite. It doesn't matter who we are tonight necessarily as far as the terminology goes. And again, respecting our group that we are. But the fact that God has accepted us is where our salvation comes from. Well, as I continue to live life, I have good memories. My ministry encouraged me to attend a Bible school. And once again, this was big and scary and new to me. A Bible school that was 18 hours from our house, something like that, if I remember right, to drive all the way out. They encouraged me to go to attend the Maranatha Bible School. At that time, that was back in, in 2000, like I said, 2004, 2005. I would have went in 2006 to Maranatha Bible School. And I have friends. I have found friends there that have encouraged me. You know, Bible school is one of these places, just like most things are in life. You get out of Bible school as much as you put into Bible school. If you go to Bible school to party, if you go to Bible school just to have fun with friends and you really don't care about God and pursuing God, then that's about what you're going to get out of Bible school. Now, I hope you get a little more than that as teachers spend time and give their, uh, their efforts in, in explaining the word and the truth. But as I can think about Maranatha Bible School in 2006, I had some friends who were just there for the ride, were just there for the party, I would say. And then I had friends who were there because they sincerely wanted to know God. And I can remember walking into some of those little prayer closets out there at Maranatha and just praying and crying and sharing life together. And I began to realize that, you know what, there's more people than just this young man who struggles with some of these things that, that I have really struggled with. And no matter where we are on the globe, we all have needs and we all have problems that's only going to be solved when we bring them to Jesus. And I found that in my life as I shared that there at Bible school. I remember the last Thursday night of the six weeks. I was there for two terms. And the last Thursday night, the fellows were together the ladies were together sharing one last uh, hurrah, I guess, of, of time together before the, the terms were over. And I remember the fellows were in the, the gym there at Maranatha Bible School playing volleyball. And back then, volleyball was a pretty big deal. I mean, we had to play volleyball or, or something like that. We had to play a sport where, you know, there was a lot of, lot of effort and energy that's put into the, to the sports. And my friend came over, my friend from Pennsylvania came, uh, came over to me halfway through that night and he said, look, he said, you need to come here. And I went over to him and he said, look, he knew, we knew we had seven friends from back east that was coming out, traveling out to the closing program the next evening, Friday night. And he said they were in a bad accident. He just got word that they were in a bad accident and that's all he knew. And our hearts sank, but it wasn't long until that message carried through the, the gym and all 40 fellows that was with us there that year. Volleyball, you know what? The first thing that happened is volleyball went out the window. Praise God. That, that, should, that, that wasn't a priority in our minds at all anymore. All of a sudden, I felt like all of what was been taught and put into us in the last six weeks was going to be put into action as we gathered around together as 40 fellows. And I believe we was. We linked arms. We began to pray and we began to, to uh, sing together. And there was prayers being lifted up for the seven souls who was in a bad accident in Wisconsin. They hit black ice. 
And unbeknownst to us, we, didn't, we just knew they were being taken to the hospital. And, and actually, my wife today was one of those passengers. And it was a, it was a bad accident, but it, I didn't know how bad it was. And I can remember one of the songs that we sang that year was There is Peace in the Midst of the Storm-Tossed Life. And I remember Brother Wendell Schrock coming up to me. I had tears in my eyes. I was devastated. I didn't know what was, what was going to come out of this accident. And he just put his hand on my shoulder. You know Brother Wendell Schrock? He said, Mark, there is peace in the midst of the storm-tossed life. There is peace in the midst of the storm-tossed life. And I tell you tonight, dear friends, as a young man, I laid my head down on my pillow that night with more peace that night than probably what I had the last six weeks of study and hard work of trying to pursue God and, and learn from others. Well, it comes to be that as they hit black ice and they were in a 15-passenger van, seven people in a 15-passenger van, there was probably a space of at least 15 feet where their van left the earth and come down into the media again. And somehow they, have, they believed that that van was nose in the air as it was doing this in the air because the driver and the passenger had their seatbelts on and they were in their own seats, but the rest of them were all dumped back at least one seat and on the floor and, and scattered around, glass everywhere. And where, where my wife was sitting, the, the van roof was smashed down to the seat. There was another couple that was, that was uh, dumped over here, and where they were sitting on this side, the van roof was down. There was, talk about guardian angels, and you talk about the protection of God in that situation. We marvel. None of them was seriously injured. They all went to the hospital to get looked at, but none of them was seriously injured. And we thank God for that tonight. But the, the reason I share that tonight is I learn a lesson. I learn a lesson, I believe, of what the body of Christ should look like. What the church looks like. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one mourns, we all mourn. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. We, we work together as a band of Christians, as a band of believers. We work together and we suffer together and we rejoice together. And these fellas that we had been spending our weeks with there was willing to do that for us. On November 4, 2006, my wife and I got married. And we were married for a little over a year, and I was I was a part of I was a member of the church for three and a half years at this point and we had a we were looking for a, a deacon ordination. And I felt so new, I felt so green, I felt like just this country boy that these, this group of believers was willing to accept me and take me in. I felt like they accepted me well. I was, I was grateful for it. And I couldn't believe it that Sunday morning whenever the ministry came out after taking nominations for that deacon ordination and my name was one that was in the lot. I could not believe what I was hearing. I did not feel the voice of God. I did not feel in calling my name. I was 21 years old. I was married for just a little over a year. We were expecting our first child. And I remember the brother that shared the lot with me. He was 10 years older than I. He grew up in that church. He knew the routines. He knew the people well. I had a 100 reasons why it was going to be that brother that God would choose a week later on a Sunday night for that ordination. But the lot was found in my book. The lot was found in my book as a young man, a 21-year-old, and I felt like my world was wrecked. I felt like my ship had been out to, out to sea. I felt like I had missed something. And I was ordained as a deacon, and I served as a deacon. Just a little bit later that year, August 19, our first child was born. 
of 2008. And then in 2010, July 17, we had our second daughter, Jeanette. And then three and a half years later, I was working back on the farm with my brother. And I was hauling silage. Where it was corn harvest season. And I was hauling silage. And I, at this point, as, as a, I've been serving as a deacon now for three and a half years, God had been gently calling my name and saying, look, I want to call you to preach the word of God, to minister to the people here. And I felt the call in my life. I felt the call in my heart. And I remember driving the tractor back and forth in and out of the field, just surrendering. God was moving in my heart. I was singing, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Fully surrendered, Lord divine, I will be true to thee. God was helping shape and mold and melt my heart to his will. I want to tell you tonight, when I was ordained deacon as 21, I, everything within me, I, I confess to you, everything within me, my flesh, that you could think of, wanted to turn and just run as fast as I could. Why did I ever choose to come and be a part of this group? Why, Lord? Surely not. And I remember talking to my father-in-law and to other, other older people for wisdom and for some, some help it, before that ordination and after as well. And then the same thing three and a half years later, as I was 24 now, I was being called to the work of the ministry. I felt strongly that I was going to be ordained that time, whether there was a lot or not. And I, I remember crying out to God. I want to tell you tonight as a true and living testimony, I believe that the safest place in the world, dear ones, is not where I want to be. It's not where you think I should be or where you think others should be. It's where God wants you to be. The safest place in the world is where God wants us to be. I still wrestle sometimes. You know, I wrestled. Tonight, I confess to you, I wrestled even to have the heart of ministry to come this week and preach this week of revival meetings because of everything else that I felt like was happening back home. But I knew that God wanted me to come. And I tell you, we have to listen to God's voice before man's voice. We need to listen to God's voice before we listen to anybody else's voice around us. And we need to go where he calls us to because that is the safest place. And we want to be found in that place when God calls for, you to, for us to come home. The safest place in the world is where God wants us to be. December 7, 2013, we then had our third daughter. And August 18 of 16, we had our fourth daughter. And of course, I told you the other night about our son that's been born now, March 1. God has been so good to us. He's given us a lot of responsibility that makes me stand back and say, I don't know how to do this. It's too much for me to bear. I can't carry on. And I think back about where I was at in my life as a boy growing up and the decisions that I had made. I can remember receiving the phone call on that night of the fear that gripped my heart as I heard the words that I think you're going to be a daddy at the age of 15 years old and how that could have changed my life. And I tell you, when I stand before you tonight as a minister of their gospel, what do I have but I have guilt on my hands? I need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash me anew. And it's because of him, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified that I, that I hold before us tonight. There's nothing that I've done. I'm guilty apart from Jesus Christ. And the decisions that we make, the choices that we make, and how God has spared us through so much of that. You talk about the grace of God, brother. You talk about the mercy of God. It's not a sacrifice to come and preach revival meetings. It's not a sacrifice to go take our time and go minister to the, to the drunk today. It's not, a, it's not a, a sacrifice today to come and to go and minister to the elderly. It's not a sacrifice to go and talk to our lost neighbor. It's not a sacrifice to, 
to ask God to help fill us up with his love and to forsake an unforgiving spirit and a critical spirit and it goes on and on. It's not a sacrifice, friends. He is worthy because of what he's done for us, because of what he's paid for us at Calvary. And God promises us that he will not give us more than we're able to bear. And I know he's talking about temptations there in that verse. Sometimes we feel like there's more than we can bear. Life is too hard. It's too difficult. I can't keep going. And sometimes the valley grows thin. The path that we're on grows so dark. And there's thorns sticking out on both sides so that the only way through is those thorns poke at our flesh and they, they rip at our skin and they begin to cause blood to run down and it's, it hurts and it's painful and it's not fun. But God says, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. No matter where God has called you tonight, He is with you. Whom God loves, He chastens and He will take care of us all the way home. I'm convinced of that tonight. That is what keeps me going. That is why I want to have a new song in him because it's because of what he has done and what he will do as he walks with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. Draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh unto you. Very simple promises, but friends, sometimes whenever we realize that Jesus is all that we have, we realize that Jesus is all that we need. And he is what is going to give us that fulfillment and satisfaction as we trust him. We want to trust him to the end. God has a purpose and a plan tonight for your life and for mine. He really, really does. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when we realize that. The song that we sang 10 years ago in our youth chorus was serving Jesus, but in my own power, I was doing what I knew to do. But I was not prepared for the hour when a high mountain came into view. In my own strength, I struggled to climb it. But oh, such weakness I felt. Somewhere on that mountain in darkness, I came to the end of myself. And when I came to the end of myself, he was there to give me his help. When I said, I'm not able, he said, but I am. In my weakness, I discovered the strength of the Lamb. His almighty power I felt when I came to the end of myself. There's a secret that you may be missing tonight as you struggle to just make it through. It will take more than your best to please him. Jesus wants to live his life through you. So he'll take you to high rugged mountains for a lesson that we must learn well. Then he'll patiently wait for the moment when we come to the end of ourselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, he'll be there to give us his help. When you say, I'm not able, he'll say, but I am. And in our weakness, we'll discover the strength of the Lamb with victory. We'll say, it is well when we come to the end of ourselves. We have to die in order to live. Jesus had to die in order to rise again. You and I need to learn. That's what our lesson is for all of life, is to learn how to die to ourself. Learn how to come to the end of myself and let Jesus take my hand and lead me. Lead me through life. Without Jesus tonight, we're nothing. And there is many times that we feel so weak and too weak. And even as we pray night after night, I feel too weak and too needy to stand before you and minister. But I trust that God is going to give us the grace. And he does every time. And we go forth believing that he's going to do the same thing tonight as we lay our heads down on our pillows. Or as we go, as we come again tomorrow night, God is going to give us what we need. And we go in faith, trusting and believing in our God in that way. 
I'm so thankful tonight that in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Well, there can be a happy ending in my life. There can be a happy ending in your life if we're willing to come to the end of ourselves. It's kind of like that, that man who had a boy. His boy had a birthday. And this man was going to take his boy to the pet shop. And he told his boy, he said, son, he said, there's a lot of puppies in here. You can see, and they were, the, they were the whole way from over here all around, all the way to over here. And he said, son, he said, you pick. You tell me which puppy you want. He said, I'll buy it for you, son. And so the son started over here, and he, got, he looked at that puppy, and he looked at the next puppy, and he got the whole way down through here. He got back here, and now over here at the last kennel, there was a dog, and there was a puppy in there, and, and he was looking at this little boy, and the puppy was just sitting there wagging his tail. His tail was just a wagon like this. And the son looked at the dad. He said, Dad, Dad, he said, I think I'll take that puppy right there. And Dad said, Son, which, which one are you talking about? He said, Oh, you know, the one with the happy ending. The one with the happy ending. There can be a happy ending in your life and in mine tonight if we're willing to let Jesus have complete ownership, complete ownership of our lives. You see, we're not our own anymore as a follower of Jesus. We're not our own anymore, the Bible says. We've been bought with a price. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. And so we're not who we want to be. We're who God wants us to be. I close with this verse, 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul comes to the end of his life with this powerful testimony, I have fought a good fight. That is a powerful, fulfilling testimony. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Friends, I am looking forward to that day by God's grace and by his power and by his blood. As I have the opportunity to fall at his feet and hear him say, Mark, you have failed me in so many ways. But you fought a good fight. You finished the course. You've kept the faith. Would you like to enter with what I have in store for you? That's going to be the greatest and the most grand, glorious words that you and I can ever hear. But we need to come to the end of ourselves and be faithful until then. Be faithful to following where he calls us in life. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, tonight I thank you for your provisions that we have to live for Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we feel so unworthy and indebted for what you have done for us at the cross. And how, Lord, you have called us, how you have continued to call us unto yourself. In your still small voice, you have been very faithful. Lord, we fail you. We confess that we're, we're prone to leave the God that we love. And I pray tonight that our faith, our testimonies could be strengthened as we think about our walk with you and what has brought us to the point that we are so far in this journey. And that we would just truly bless you and give you the full honor and glory that you're worthy of, of how you have brought us. Lord, we're thankful that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. I pray, O oh God, tonight that if there's a soul in this building who is struggling, who is wrestling, who is tempted to throw in the towel and give it up and say it's too difficult, God, I pray that you would captivate their heart tonight. 
you would draw them so very close into yourself. Help them to feel your presence. Lord, help them to feel your love, that unconditional love, regardless of where they're at. And tell them, Lord, to come unto you and give them rest as they trust you, Lord, with their lives. I pray for this congregation, each soul who's here. Have your own way in our lives, Lord, as we trust you throughout the rest of this night as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.